everyone, and welcome to this week's Start Somewhere podcast. Um, I'm Sarah Vaughan, the host, and this week I'm joined by a very dear friend and former colleague, the amazing Esther Marshall. Hi, Esther. Welcome. How are you today? Hi, Sarah. Thank you for having me. This is so exciting. Thank you. Oh, it's so great to be with you. It you really, really is. How exciting. Yeah. So Esther, as you know, you know, we all start this, this podcast with, you know, the question, how did you start out? You know, so where did you grow up and, and, and what were kind of your early experiences in life? Yeah, um, so I grew up in London um, with both parents who were doctors um, working for um, the UK system, which is the National Health Service, um, our free medical um, care. And so I think from that, there was always very much a a sense of you should work hard and you should do well, um, but give back in the world. Um, and I think that kind of came through our childhood all the way. And I think that just kind of lived and breathed our entire kind of family life growing up and has kind of worked its way into everything that, that we now do. And you were actually quite American as well. Is that right? You, you, you are actually part of, is, is, is it one of your parents is American? Yeah, my mum is American and she moved here when she went to medical school. Um, but all of my, um, other than my parents um, and my siblings, um, the rest of my family live in the States. So yeah, sometimes honorary American, Dep- depending on what's going on over there in the political system and how much I want to be involved. But yes. So you know, you, you grew up in London, you had a great education, you, 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 it was, it was a pretty lovely, amazing kind of like full, full growing up experience, wasn't it? And then you headed off to university. Tell us a little bit about, about where you went to university. Yeah. So, um, I think it came from, from schooling. Um, I guess my, my parents saved and saved and saved and, and, and managed to get me into quite a good school. And it was, um, a school that very much was an all-girls school and very much, you know, women can achieve just as much as men. And that was constantly put into us. of What are you going to do? How are you going to change the world? How are you going to make men kind of stand up and, and listen and watch you and realize that um, you're somebody to kind of look out for? And that was kind of the message we heard every day. So um, I really enjoyed that. And then I went to university up in Leeds um, to study um, geography and sustainability. Um, because it just really opened my eyes to human geography, so the sociology of, of humankind and where we've come from and where we're going and how politics are shaped us and then how sustainability feeds into that. Um, so that kind of opened my eyes even more to the world that was out there and I did a bit of traveling, whereas before it, although it was a, a great childhood, it wasn't necessarily realizing all of the inequality that was out there. It was, oh, I'm going to go and change the world, but then once I realized the university how much I needed to change, it kind of galvanized me to go faster. Um, And and that was just a a fantastic three years, which I had fun, but I think a lot of it really got into my mind and and really kind of in a good way screwed me up to be like, okay, life is not as good as you think it is. There's so much out there that we can change and make a difference um, to. uh, And therefore you, you need to work as hard as you possibly can to try and make that change. Um, and, and university most definitely did that for me. Um, I was out and about with friends, but a lot of the time it was very much, what am I going to do? Planning, how can I do it? Um, uh, yeah, so a different kind of university experience, but still fun nevertheless. Yeah. And then what was your first step into the kind of world of work after that? Um, 
I applied for the Unilever graduate program. Um, I had done an internship at Unilever in Leeds um, in one of the factories on the factory floor um, in their supply chain, understanding more about sustainability and thought, you know what, this is, this is, yeah, I could make such a difference. They want to change the world. This is great. This is perfect. And I could have a good job. Like, is that, isn't that great? Um, and so I applied for that and, and got into there and, and, and yeah, kind of entered into the sustainability corporate agenda. Yeah, which is, of course, where we met and, and worked together. Indeed, we did. And, and, and Esther and I uh, worked together on the same team and she gave me lots of great advice and counsel. Um, <laughs> and I'm forever grateful to her for, 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 for doing that. And along this kind of, you know, sort of journey, if you like, I mean, you really did discover this extraordinary purpose. And I will never forget the conversation that you and I had in Unilever where you were like, I, I have to tell you something. So, you know, and, 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 and I'd really love to, for you to share with everyone, like how you found your purpose, what happened and how you actually found that sense of purpose with this kind of burning mission that you also had. Yeah. Um, so I think it's been a bit of a journey and that purpose has stayed there, but has kind of molded in different ways. But the, the moment I think I realized the purpose was I had been sent to um, an amazing conference called One Young World, um, where all young leaders kind of get together from all over the world to talk about world issues and discuss them and see how we can make change. So right up my street. Um, and there was a lady who was on stage talking about um, the abuse that she'd faced um, whilst trying to leave Korea. Now, although I didn't try and leave Korea, um, a lot of what she spoke about in terms of the abuse rang true and really kind of sat with me. Um, when I was 18, I went through an um, incredibly abusive relationship. I ended up in hospital a few times. And as I say, when I speak about it, the bruises fade, but it's everything that stays with you inside and the emotional um, abuse and the psychological abuse that kind of stays with you. Um, and as I was watching this woman on stage, my life just changed. Mm. And I was like, if I want to change the world, people need to know who I am and I need to know who I am. And I need to be proud of that. And I shouldn't, just because I'm working in a corporate environment, I shouldn't not tell people what's happened to me because actually that shaped me and that's given me that force that I need to do something. Um, and from that moment, I created, um, a charity called Stand Tall. Um, the, the name of Stand Tall came from while I was going through the abusive relationship. My, my friends knew what was going on because they, um, took me to hospital and they were around and they would tell the guy to, to stop what he was doing. Um, but until you realize it and until you feel able to leave, you know, there's not a lot people can do, um, but they, I, I would write, I would write a lot about my feelings and what was going on. And the final day that I wrote, um, I wrote one day I will stand tall. Mm -hmm. And that's where I got the name from because I knew this was going to be a difficult journey. If I'm going to start talking about it and try and make a difference to other people, it's going to bring back a lot and all of that's going to come up. And I need something that's going to keep me grounded to be like, come on Esther, don't give up. We need to carry on doing this. 
And that's why it's called Stand Tall, because I knew I couldn't go back on that if I did that. Yeah, and I, I'll never forget the moment you told me. I mean, the courage it took you for, to tell me and share that with, with me was, was immense. And, I, you know, sorry, I can feel myself tearing up because I can still mm. actually remember that. Um, and, you know, just, you know, for you to also kind of describe, you know, like, you know, you came from this kind of great background. Your parents were both doctors. You were very bright, and yet you had found yourself in this situation. So, do you want to talk about that a little bit more about about what you had to move through? Yeah, I was. It was very much. I felt ashamed. I felt weak, and I'd moved into this new glitzy job where you know I was building a reputation. Everyone's like, "Oh, Esther's strong, and Esther's this, and she's strong-minded, and she'll make a change." And you think, "Well, if I tell them, actually, what's?" happened to me then they'll think I'm some small little girl that you know is putting on a face but actually there's other stuff going on around it rather than trying to change my mindset of I'm not happy that I went through what I went through but it has made me into a much stronger person um who understands their worth and knows how they should be treated um and once you change that mindset you start to realize what should happen to you as opposed to the downward spiral that you would go down the other way, which I was going down. Um, and, and that's why I felt I had to talk about it. Um, I, it took me eight years to get there. Mm. Um, it was eight years of hiding it behind, um, many, many walls called it a locked up, you know, my heart was like a locked up, uh, you know, throwing away the key, everything. Um, but slowly kind of, took down those walls but for the majority of time that's kind of why my university experience was different was I wasn't interested in finding this that or whatever I I wanted to make a difference and that was partly where my heart was then closed off to because I felt well I can't trust anybody so I'll just make it my own way and then you start to realize actually trusting people is a is a good thing once you know the right people to trust and once you know what you're worth and when someone's walking over you um, but that took eight years and that was a very, very long journey um, and difficult journey at points yeah. to get through, to get that self-confidence, to go for the, even just to apply to Unilever for the grad scheme was, oh, there's so many people, I won't get it because of that that doubt and self-confidence. To go for the interviews and then when, once I was at Unilever, go for other interviews that maybe were a little bit above where I should have been, but I felt, no, why don't we try it? But every single stage of that was really fighting against everything that was inside of Mm-hmm. you're not good enough for this you shouldn't be able to do this you're right with your self-confidence you should just sit in the corner and, and stay where you are until someone thinks maybe you're ready to be promoted um so it was a long difficult journey but I think where I've, I've got to is a place whereby I really want to try and encourage others to kind of take that leap of faith forward yeah. and have that more self-confidence in yourself and I, I, I've then also never forget the moment where you, you came to me and said, Sarah, can I have a word with you? And, you know, um, I've been asked to talk about Stand Tall at, at, at One Young World. And for those that, that, that um, haven't met Esther before, Esther hated talking in public. It was probably like the worst thing you could ever suggest. <laughs> so do you want to talk about that and what happened? Yeah, it was extraordinary. Yeah. So I've always, I'm, when I'm around people that I know and I trust, I, I will talk for, for Britain, basically. But 
when I'm around people that I don't know or I feel uncomfortable, I am the most introverted person. I get awkward, really awkward. Um, I get incredibly shy. Um, I keep overthinking what should I say and then that gets even worse because when you say something silly and then you overthink that and yeah I, I'm sure a lot of people you know I've spoken to a lot of people they think the same I thought it was I think a lot of people but I think a lot of people oh, think the same okay. oh shit I know exactly what she means but yes. then when one young girl said we want you to speak on stage again I think for a lot of people that's super exciting but it filled me with dread um, not only just speaking on stage but then also talking about something so raw Mm-hmm. Um, and you put me in touch with an incredible man who helped me to get across what I wanted to say, but without giving away too many details. So it still kept my privacy, but yeah. people would still understand the severity and the um, impact of what had happened. And actually, I say now it was one of the most therapeutic things I've done because there were thousands of people in the audience but it was pitch black to me. And Mm. I got up there and these lights were beaming on me. I could not see a thing. And I spoke for those six minutes or whatever it was. First time I'd ever properly spoken about it. And it was like I was standing in my bedroom, just speaking to myself. The first time talking to myself, how I would want to talk to myself. And then suddenly, and it was pitch black and there was no one there. And I got to the end. And suddenly there was this rapture of applause. The lights went down. I suddenly see all these people on their feet giving standing ovation. And my face goes, oh my God, because it was just such a therapeutic, amazing feeling. And then suddenly you realize, actually, I've just said that to a thousand people and it's live recorded and now it's on YouTube and it's out there and anyone can see it. And then that dread suddenly set back in again. I just ran back to my chair and just sat down and... But it was, it was amazing. And it was the start of something of post that, the amount of people that came up to me saying, you know, it made a difference to them and what had happened and then started to speak to them and help them make a change. And then they helped somebody else make a change. And you're starting to get all these stories and you realize, wow, this is just one person. What if loads of people could be doing this? And how could we scale that and make a difference? And from there, I was like, well, this is part of me. Mm. And if people are either going to employ me or people are going to work with me or be friends with me, then they need to know who I am. And this is part, well, it's a major part of who I am. And so it just became part of me. Um, And I really haven't looked back since. Um, It's been difficult. Uh, I've been in counselling because I would get flashbacks and things like that. But I think, you know, if you have a purpose, it's never going to be easy. That's the whole reason it's a purpose. You know, it's easier because you love it, but it's harder because you have so much more passion behind it. Yeah. Um, and, and so it's, it's worth that because yeah. you know, you're making a difference. Yeah. And you surely are. And do you want to talk a little bit about Stand Tall? Yes. And, 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 and what it does? Cause I think mm-hmm. a lot of people will be very interested to, to, yeah. to hear. So I started thinking about Stand Tall and and what we could do. And I thought about when I was going through everything, what I needed. And I didn't want to go to some of these charities whereby you have to walk through a door and say, I'm Esther Martian and I'm a victim. And this is everything that I've gone through to some random person face to face. What I wanted was to sit in a safe place by myself um, 
and find somewhere and some person or some organization that would help me for the right reasons, safely and anonymously. So we got some funding and started to put together a site whereby we are now the largest in, in the UK, which is over 200 charity partners that explain what they do. And basically what we've done is taken a lot of the jargon on their sites, which sometimes is scary to read. And if mm-hmm. people don't have a lot of time, if they're living with their abuser, we've literally taken it down to what they offer, how they offer it, when they're open, the, the exact, we did focus groups. What is the information that people really need to know within that two to five minute window, which is the amount of time that somebody usually has if they're going to look for, for um, information. And what we wanted to do is make sure within that two to five minutes, people found the right information because we were finding that a lot of people were looking for what they thought they were going through, finding something that they thought would help, then going to that, realizing, oh, actually, maybe I'm not going through domestic violence. It's more financial abuse. And therefore I need help on that. But I've already put all my energy into going to domestic violence counseling or something. I don't have any energy to go and do that again. And then, and then you've lost them because of that. And so find places where it's close to where they are um, to where they live um, specific to what they need. And then they can reach out when they feel ready at a time when they want. Um, and so we created that and, and then that's been fantastic. And then alongside that, we had an education platform because we were finding that so many people just thought, oh, well, I'm going through abuse, therefore it must be domestic violence. Yes. And they didn't understand all the other types of abuse that there are and how that can manifest and how that can affect you. Um, so we put together, again, an education platform that's very much in pure English, very, very easy to understand. Yeah. Um, to a point that we were saying, you know, a lot of women that are reading this, it probably won't be their first language. Or we could have um, young girls from school who are reading this as well. So something very, very easy to understand that gets the message across, that gives clear signs of, are you going through this? Are you going through this? Then it, it could be this. Um, so that hopefully with the education platform, plus the charity partners, we're really making sure that people get the specific help that they need. Um, and then the education platform also, we've had, I've had dads, I've had uncles, brothers, sisters say to me, this has been so helpful to help me realize that my sister or my uncle or someone is going through this and therefore we need to get them help and they found the help as well so um really proud uh, of what we've done we've had some amazing stories amazing feedback um during covid it was it was really well utilized as well Um, because as as we all know i think domestic well all types of violence cases went through the roof with covid do you want to talk a little bit about about that esther yeah, um, it, it just went up exponentially in most countries, over 30%, um, you know, deaths, homicides, etc. children with violence. I mean, you, you think everything, the entire spectrum, it was really quite dark um, of, yeah. of what people were going through um, during that time and, and somewhat still, but specifically during lockdown in, in most countries. Um, but in a way, it was the first time ever that the world was going through something like that together. Yes. And the amount of the amount of pressure then that was put on governments to say, you no, know, something needs to be done about this. And it was the first mm-hmm. time charities were coming together about this rather than saying, no, we're here and you're there. Um, it was quite something. And I really hope that it's a positive step in the right direction um, for anybody who's experiencing any type of, of abuse. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 
and and then and then what we found with that was actually so many people with employee with employees didn't know how to what like counsel their um employees who may be going through it how do they even reach people going through that so we put together modules and webinars for uh businesses that we've started to roll out as well um that quite a few companies have taken on now uh which is is really helping um people's employees about specifically for managers to learn what abuse is and how to maybe realize that somebody in your team is going through it but also for somebody who may be going through abuse of um how to clearly document things um how to keep your children safe and how to write an escape plan and what to do with it how Mm -hmm. to create a safety plan um safety tips for living with an abuser specifically in lockdown and they're not in lockdown so really really good um materials that can really help people as well so we've been starting to roll that out as like the next phase of growth so yeah hopefully making individual change but then also kind of systemic change through business as well so um yeah that's where we went with stand tall amazing and meanwhile um you've got married yes to a very lovely man yes. um, and have had a, a, a little son as well. So tell I us a more about, about that and, and, and what that kind of provoked in you. Yeah, that, that kind of became an add-on to my purpose. When people say to me, oh, do you have a purpose? I'm like, well, I have a few. Um, they all kind of ladder up, but it's it's just been part of the journey of each stage of my life and my journey. I've just kind of found something to add and somewhere to make a difference um and I found after having my son uh feeding him in the night I found it incredibly lonely mm-hmm. um and I stupidly thought well you had to stay awake because I obviously didn't want to drop him while he was feeding but I thought oh let's just scroll through Instagram and that was not helping me at all looking at random people in their so-called perfect lives when I had just recovered from sepsis from birth and I was absolutely exhausted and it's just not a fun place to be those first few months if anyone listening has been through it then maybe they can uh, uh, sympathize but um, I stopped um, looking at social media at that point because I was like this is not doing anything for myself and my mental health Um, and I started doing some reading because what I found is every book that anyone was giving me for my son as like a present or anything that I'd found that people said, oh, this is a good book to read, were all male. All of the characters were male. All of the animals were male. And they all had like just really rubbish lessons in them, to be blunt. Um, I don't particularly want my son to care about a dog going to the park, but, you know, I then started reading stuff about behavioral science that kids by the time they're 18 months really understand, um, quote unquote, where they fit in society. I was like, reading about a dog going to the park isn't going to help my son know that women and men can do the same things and that, you know, there most definitely aren't equal opportunities at the moment and where you live and two minutes down the road, some kid's going to have a completely different life to you just because, you know, just because of literally where you live and the opportunities that you have. And you need to understand that there's a difference with that. Um, and I'm not going to let you grow up thinking like, oh, this just happens to everybody because that's not okay. Um, and so I thought, okay, well, then there must be books out there that explain this to kids in like a fun, authentic way. Great, cool. Let's let's go and find them and I'll order them. And I'd spent time in the night trying to find these books and it was just really nothing. A few niche books here and there, but it wasn't what I needed. So I thought, well, 
in a way I've been gifted, you know, the gift of time by being up almost every night all night. Why don't I in my sleep deprived state write the book that I want to read to him? Um, that, yeah, that's what I did on my maternity leave. I, I wrote the book that I wanted to read to him. It was just supposed to be a book that I would read to him and he'd enjoy. Um, but it, it got a bit bigger than that. People really started to be like, yeah, this is, you know, you've got a lead character, a lead character who's a woman. You've got a lead character who isn't a specific white woman. You've got, you're showing um, diversity of all different children and all different adults and different women in all different uh, roles that they can do. And it's aspirational and it's teaching them about gender equality and equal opportunities. And parents were saying to me, I haven't had a conversation with my child ever that's been as long as in depth because the way that the book's written means that we can just go into topics and we can talk. And during lockdown, I got some most amazing messages of, you know, I just had a conversation with my daughter about gender equality and I had no idea how she felt. And because of that, all these different feelings came out. We managed to get to a better place and we didn't have the best relationship, but now we're going on walks together and we're talking about things. And um, from NHS workers who would say to me, you know, stuff like this is literally, you know, making me live for the day that I can come back and I can read this book at the top of my stairs because we're um, self-isolating, but my child's downstairs and we can read uh -huh. it. And like, so cool. some of the, just the most beautiful stories. Um, yeah. And, and so that's where the kind of Sophie says, I can, I, I will came from. And it repeats, I can, I will. And before lockdown, we're reading it to schools and all the kids are saying, I can, I will. And I've had messages from teachers to say, you know, one little girl just couldn't, couldn't do up her shoes one day and she said I'm like Sophie I can I will and I will do that and and teachers are using that to help them kind of move forward um and when they think they can't do something with their self-confidence um and and that one did really well and then I had this amazing experience um or opportunity to speak to Megan and Harry um about the book and and that was just unbelievable and then more started selling and then lockdown and then more started selling um, and in the background to this, my, my sister, who's um, 18 months younger than me, um, had been going through incredibly difficult kind of mental health problems for five, six years. Um, and that had been kind of ongoing. Um, and in January, well, yeah, January, at the end of January this year, um, she kind of, she ended her battle um, with, with mental health, with bipolar. Um, and it just spurred me to say, if my life's purpose is to help people who've been through abuse and the effect that that has on your mental health, actually it's something bigger. It's about helping people with mental health in general. Um, and I could see it from all the hospital visits that we had with my sister and the people in the system are amazing, but the actual system is where it fails people because people don't understand what it is that people go through when they are in, in it. Um, and they also think that it's generalized as mental health, but they don't understand the differences and the nuances. And I just swore to myself when we found out the tragic news, like, I will forever fight this battle for her and mm. keep her legacy going, that it's okay not to be okay. And that mental health is so important and specifically so important in children. Because if we can be proactive with it, then we are helping our children so they don't get to a point where now we have to be reactive like we are with all of the adults going through everything. And that's the title of your next book, isn't and, it? And that is the, t yeah. So it's something about me not sleeping at night that these books come out because after <laughs> my sister passed away, I, I really couldn't sleep. 
And that's when I wrote the second book, Sophie Says It's Okay Not To Be Okay. And yeah, that's coming out very soon um, on October the 10th for World Mental Health Day um, for especially lots of school kids that are you know, feeling incredibly anxious at the moment about returning to school mm-hmm. and what that means and potential lockdown again and how that changes everything for them. Um, and it just takes you on a journey through diverse characters, learning that it's okay not to be okay. And in fact, it's Jamie the boy that's not okay therefore really hitting um, toxic masculinity on the head. Mm. Um, Yeah, I'm reading it with my son. The preview copy arrived yesterday, so um, I read it through with him. Um, And just saying it, it's okay not to be okay. And we've had parents say, yeah, I need this, not just just my son or my daughter, you know, like everyone needs this in the world. You need somewhere. And, and, you know, the other thing is gender equality, equal opportunities, um, diversity, representation, mental health, all of the topics that come come up in these books are so difficult for parents to bring up with children. You don't want to make them more anxious, but you don't want to not talk about it at all. And that's what these books do is just provide a toolkit whereby they do the speaking for the parents, then the child can speak and then you can go from there, you know, and it, and it gives them that sense of, okay, we're not saying the wrong thing or we're not doing the wrong thing. Um, and I'm hoping in the series of the books that these mantras, I can, I will, um, it's okay not to be okay. The next one, be proud of who you are, and there'll be a few. Are these mantras that children can take through their childhood and into their adult life and help build their self confidence and ultimately help their mental health throughout their life? Yeah, so precious, Esther. I mean, it's just such an amazing and special endeavor. And, and I think a whole generation of kids and parents are going to be extremely grateful for everything you've helped them with. And you know, um, the time has flown. It's always yeah. such a pleasure to be with you. Um, and, you know, it's, we've come to that, that bit of the podcast, which is, you know, what, what you know, tips can you give our, our, our listeners, um, you know, who, who are maybe coping with, with, with violence, but also, you know, really are interested in the books and, and, and maybe, you know, reading them to their kids or, or to their nieces and nephews. Sure, of course. Um, so um, if anybody who is listening is suffering from any form of abuse, then um, www.standtall.org is where you can find um, all of the information. It's on there and there's links out to all the different other charities as well. There's safety messages on there so that how to go incognito, how if you go onto another tab, how to make sure you can't be followed, etc. So it's all very safe and anonymous. Um, and if you'd like to buy the book, um, just type in Sophie Says I Can, I Will on um online and the Shopify link comes up, the Amazon link comes up um, and the new one will be out in, in October. Um, and I guess I'd say if anybody's looking to try and find a purpose or to start something new, I'd say if it doesn't scare you, then it's not worth it. You've got to get out of your comfort zone. It's, it's uncomfortable, but that is what pushes you. And that is what will drive you on a bad day as well. Um, and that is what I hope does for me and will hope try and make some change in this world. Esther, thank you so much. I always find it so moving speaking to you and I'm so proud of you and having seen this journey, you know, at close quarters. I, I mean, I, I constantly kind of taken aback by your courage and determination and your brilliance. So thank you very much for being with us all today and sharing your, your very wise words and, and experiences in life with, with, with our audience. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Esther. Mm-hmm.